Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And notice his robe was dipped in blood, verse 13, and his name is called the Word of God. And this could mean this robe dipped in blood. This could mean that, that he was already in battle, or perhaps he, was, he dipped it in blood before to show what is coming yet, to show that he means business. He's not coming back as the meek and mild baby lamb of Jesus in the manger. Oh, he's so cute. He's so harmless and cute. Welcome to our program. Today we learn that Jesus comes as a judge and a general to make war. The world that rejected him before rejects him again, but this time Jesus judges those who reject him. It's good for us to remember that this dramatic display of judgment comes only at the end of a long time of grace, patience, and mercy. This is no rush to judgment. Jesus has fully displayed his nature of mercy, forgiveness, and grace to this fallen world. He comes now to judge the world hardened and totally given over to their rebellion against him. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study in the book of Revelation. He alone is worthy to be enthroned and crowned with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly angels sing. Amen. Amen. Many crowns on his head. And there was a name written that no one knew except for himself. And the majority of the text literally has, there were names written and that nobody could understand or know. Names written, and only he knew them. It speaks of a character, doesn't it? When you name a child... You know, we should probably name a child after they're around 20 years old because by then you really find out who they are and then you can accurately name them. You can name them some really wonderful name like, you know, you know, Richard or something, you know, where the the name means something beautiful, you know. But you don't name your son Judas when he's born. You don't name your daughter, uh, yes, or Delilah. But there's a mystery about Jesus. He's, un, he's truly unfathomable, and, and that is why we worship him. You remember in Judges chapter 13, an angel of the Lord, who we believe is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ, came to Samson's father, and he, he told him, and, and, and uh, Samson's mother, this son that would be born, Samson. And Manoah was so blown away, he says, what is your name, and when your words come to pass, that we may honor you? And the angel, the angel of the Lord, said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? It's a name that nobody knew. 
but Jesus himself. In fact, the word wonderful literally means secret. It means secret. I love what Job said. He says, but as for me, in Job 5 verse 9, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. And who, who does great things? Notice, and unsearchable, marvelous things, without number. Without number. He does great things past finding out, yes, wonderful wonders without number. In Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Folks, we cannot worship someone that we have figured out. Some people in the church have claimed, oh, I, I know Jesus, and they treat him like the, you know, like the best friend, which is good that they've got a best friend in Jesus, because he can be your best friend. But they get so lackadaisical with it, and they get so irreverent, they just feel, I know, I know how he would do, you know, what he he would say and what he would do and and, and you don't know <laughs> you have no idea we have no clue his ways are unsearchable i love in the psalms david says lord you are un- you're unknowable i know you this much but in the reality of things you truly are unknowable remember that's who he is and that's why it'll take an eternity for us to even understand a part of him and we'll never figure him out But he's given us enough to to revel in him and to love him and to glorify him. There's no worries there. We'll always be looking at him with our mouth open and our eyes popping out. Do you get my point? Because that's who he is. He is wonderful. He's wonderful. And notice his robe was dipped in blood, verse 13, and his name is called the Word of God. And this could mean, this robe dipped in blood, this could mean that, that he was already in battle, or perhaps he, was, he dipped it in blood before to show what is coming yet, to show that he means business. He's not coming back as the meek and mild baby lamb of Jesus in the manger. Oh, he's so cute, he, so harmless and cute. When he came the first time, he came that way to seek and to save the lost. But when he comes back now, he's going to come. and There's going to be vengeance on his eyes, in his eyes. He's going to come back for war, and he's going to mean business. And see, that's what ought to stir us to evangelize all of those around us. Evangelism. It's a dying thing in, our, in the church. And COVID-19 has only made it even harder for us. But I would encourage you to be challenged by that and not fall into that. And I have, honestly. But we've got to break out of it. We've got to break out of it. Notice that his name is called the Word of God. Only of the New Testament writers, John the Apostle is the only one who refers to Jesus in this way. He calls him the Word of God. Remember in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the very expression of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And here's a mind blower, and the Word was God. If Jesus is the Word, then it also says in John chapter 1 verse 1 that he is God. So when somebody says, well, it doesn't say anywhere that Jesus is God. Oh, yes, it does. It's right there. He's the Word of God, become flesh. Isn't that what it says in John 1.14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is it speaking of? Bozo the Clown? No, it's speaking of Jesus. He is the Word that became flesh and became incarnate and tabernacled among us. He is the Word of God. And I love what it says in 1 John 5, 7. We'll skip over that other one. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, 
and Holy Ghost. You get it? The Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. Who is that middle person? The Word, it's Jesus. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, they followed him on a white horse. Now, who are these people who are coming back with Jesus, this army? It certainly is going to be the church that was raptured before the tribulation. You and I are going to be coming back. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about that. You see me last, uh, when, when I talk about David and Goliath, I get a little excited. I can't help it. But, you know, when we come back with Jesus, we're all going to be very excited. And you and I aren't going to be coming back with swords and guns, although it would be cool if we had them. Um, he's going to be doing all the battle. The battle is between him and the enemy. You and I are just going to be observers in this battle. We're going to be observers. Probably cheerleaders. We're going to be cheering on our king as he goes to victory. And finally vanquishing the enemy of our soul. You guys got awfully quiet. Is that a good thing? I think it is. It's a good thing to rejoice over evil. It's good to rejoice when God is victorious over evil. Don't ever feel guilty about that. The angels do, and you can too. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, neither should we. But when it's, when it's coming, when the time has come, and it's, it's judgment... God's not going to have a problem with us raising our hands and saying, Lord, blessed are you. Righteous and holy and just are you. Amen. But it's not only us. It could also be the martyred tribulation saints and perhaps the resurrected Old Testament saints. Remember those in the Old Testament that had died in faith, believing in the Messiah to come. We believe at some point at the end of this Uh, when Jesus returns, which is really the end of the tribulation and also the beginning of the millennial kingdom. But somewhere in that area there, we also believe there'll be another resurrection of the Old Testament saints. In fact, uh, it talks about these things in, in Matthew 24. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, now remember, Jesus is speaking to Jews. And he's speaking of his second coming to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He said this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the earth will be shaken, Then then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And his angels, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Notice, they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We believe that it's at that time that this other phase of the resurrection will take place. And those Old Testament saints who have, been, who have died in faith will be taken and raptured. And they, along with all of us, including probably an innumerable company of angels coming back with Jesus to finally reconcile these things on the earth. We don't have time to go through these verses. I'll just mention a couple, uh, briefly, in Daniel chapter 12, it says, God's speaking to Daniel about Michael, the archangel. 
It says, And at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. So obviously he's speaking of this time of the tribulation of which is ending now with the return of Christ. And notice, and everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he would go along in that same chapter, at the very in chapter, uh, or the verse 13 of that same chapter, the Lord tells Daniel, But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. So we believe these Old Testament saints will be taken. And notice in verse 15, Now all the, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself, notice, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And this is really what Armageddon is. The final battle between God and Satan. Everything that's been happening up to this point has just been the tribulation. God from heaven pouring out his wrath. But now it, it's, it's personal <laughs> and Jesus comes back to it. In Revelation 16, it spoke of this place called Armageddon, this place where this battle is going to be enjoined and fought from. The Satan, uh, excuse me, the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they will gather all the armies together. And it says in Revelation 16, and they gather them together in the place called, called in the Hebrew Armageddon, which means Har Megiddo, which is just a mount of Megiddo, which is there in the northern part of Israel. We visit it when we go to Israel. And you'll see that valley. And we actually go up on Mount Carmel, which is not very far away. And we see the valley of Armageddon. And it goes all, it's called the Valley of Jezreel. And it goes all the way down from the north, from Megiddo, all the way down to Jerusalem, right to the right, that valley that goes right between the, the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives, sometimes called the, the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Valley of Decision. That whole valley right there is where this battle is going to go. And it's perfect because it's all flat and it comes right down from the top and they can just march all the way right, right down to Jerusalem where they're ultimately the devil or you know the beast and the Antichrist, the, the false prophet, where they are going to come. And so that's the only place in the scripture where we see this word. And notice that a sharp sword goes out where he should strike the nation. And this is not a short sword. You remember in Ephesians 6, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul's speaking of a short little sword. It's about that long. You know, roughly, it's a a short sword. It's for hand-to-hand combat. That's the kind of sword that is spoken of in in Ephesians. But this sword here is a... A huge sword. This is a fatal, this is one of the, this is what you see in the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) A big sword, a double-edged sword. That's literally what it means in this thing. A sharp sword, it's a double-edged sword, and he's going to carry that thing, and it's going to be like a javelin. It's going to be so large. And whether it's going to be a physical sword, it doesn't make a difference. Because with his word, he is going to speak. He is going to speak. The same word that said, let there be light in Genesis. 
Let there be the animals and the fishes and all these creatures. The same word that spoke everything into existence is the same word that's going to expel those enemies. He doesn't need a physical sword. He can speak a word and vanquish his enemies. But notice at the second part of 15, he says, And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. There are many Old Testament prophecies that we got to look through a few of them this morning. Just to kind of get an idea, I would encourage you to write them down and go look them up. But probably the oldest prophecy in the Bible concerning the second coming of Jesus was written by Jesus' half-brother. Remember Jude, the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation? Jesus' half-brother wrote this, and he spoke of Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam that we read about in Genesis 5. Enoch prophesied, and this was before the flood judgment happened. (laughs) Before the flood judgment happened, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, said this. Notice, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. To do what? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them for of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Even before the flood, God gave to Enoch an understanding that Jesus is coming back. The second coming that we're reading about now. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's going to do. And righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. In Psalm chapter 2, one of the most significant passages in the Psalms concerning the return of Jesus, says, Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Against the Lord and against his anointed. And here's what they say. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And notice what's going to happen. He who sits in the heavens, he's going to laugh. He's going to laugh at the hubris of mankind, the humanism of mankind, to dare to raise their fist against Almighty God. It's a fool's errand, is it not? Then he shall speak to them. Notice, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And yet, it says, I, will, I have set my king on my holy hill. And I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. In the the book of Joel, chapter 3, we're not going to look at all of these. We'll look at the one uh, 11 through 16. It says, assemble and come, all you nations. Isn't this what's happening? All the nations are gathering, and they're coming against the Lord and against those armies that are coming in heaven. I mean, just think about it for a minute. I mean, just logically, if something like that is coming out of the clouds, and you see it coming, and you see the armies in heaven that are coming, wouldn't that tend to kind of shake your confidence? I think it would shake mine. 
There's no technology like that available on the earth. And here he is coming, all these people, these armies coming on white horses, coming down. I think at that point, I would just lay down my arms and say, forgive me, God. And you know what? I think things would probably be different, maybe. I don't know. But notice, gather them all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Verse 12, let the nations be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's that valley I was speaking of. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go, or come and go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun will grow Uh, The sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter to his people and the strength for the children of Israel. I love that. And what is he going to do the very first thing he does when he comes back? We believe that the very first thing Jesus is going to do, and this is kind of different from what we've been taught I was always uh, told that Jesus, when he comes down, he's immediately going to go to the Mount of Olives and split it in two. And, 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 and it could happen that way. But there's good reason to believe. The Bible doesn't say that he, he actually comes down from heaven at that point and, and, and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. He's definitely going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and it definitely will cleave in two. But we believe that what's going to happen is when Jesus returns, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to deliver those captives in the rock city of Petra. Isaiah 63, um, actually, let me back up to Revelation chapter 12. Remember when it talked about the, the dragon chasing after the woman who was the, the Israel, the 144,000 Jews. What does it say in Revelation 12, beginning in verse 13? Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who was Israel, who gave birth to the male child, speaking of Jesus. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. And the bottom line is, is he's trying to destroy her. And that's why even today when people go to Petra, they're putting Bibles in all kinds of places deep in the caverns of those places because that's where we believe the Jews are going to run and they're going to have shelter when the Antichrist comes after them. Way in, way in advance of what it's going to happen. But Jesus, isn't that just like him though? He doesn't want one minute to go by when he knows there's a remnant down in Basra and Petra that are waiting my return. I'm not going to delay one minute. I'm going to go, and I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to fight the battle, and I'm going to bring them with me, and then I'm going to go to Megiddo, and I'm going to deal with those individuals there in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Armageddon. I'm going to do business there. In Isaiah chapter 63, it says this concerning that campaign. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save? That's the one. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And here's Jesus' answer when he comes for those Jews. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. 
The day of his redeemed is come, the year. And I looked, but there was no one to help me, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought them down, or, and brought down their strength to the earth. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.